0: the show you love with even more local news and more local reaction the mike douglas show now weekdays from three till five on power talk 1360 kfib
1: And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show this Monday afternoon. It is also tax day, April 18, normally uh, the 15th of April, but this year it's the 18th. Today is tax day, and I'm sure we're all very excited about that, to have confiscatory taxation in progress, where for the most part, in my opinion anyway, at this point, much of our income is taken uh, in order to support things that we don't support ourselves. So that about sums it up from my perspective today. Uh, your perspective also always important here on the Mike Douglas Show. As your concierge for conversation, uh, my job to provide you with the ability to have that live and local presence. Let your thoughts be known. How are you feeling today on Tax Day 209 34832095513483 and before we get to other headlines uh, a very sobering and sad news development in Stockton Stagg High School in Stockton is on lockdown apparently after an intruder not a student as far as we know approached the campus and stabbed a female student Uh, She was taken to the hospital and died there of her injuries. Uh, The chief of police in a press conference just a few moments ago confirming that. uh, Also on that press conference was the uh, superintendent of the Stockton Unified School District. I believe his name is John Ramirez and not a lot of details that they're releasing right now which is appropriate considering it's a minor involved but a very sad situation there as far as i know stag high school is still on lockdown uh for the safety of of all involved i presume and they are saying that counselors will be on hand or are on hand at the school site and um The uh, superintendent saying the safety of their students, staff, and teachers remain a top priority. Again, Stagg High School in Stockton, apparently an intruder, not a student, stabbed a female minor uh, to death. Uh, She was taken to a hospital and died there of her injuries. The suspect has not been named. uh, No information on him at this point or her. Could be a him or her. Really don't know at this point. But as soon as we uh, get more information on that, we will let you know. Again, uh, our prayers with all those in Stockton associated with Stagg High School. And again, if any information comes uh, forth, we will try to get that to you as the broadcast progresses through today. Another big news item today, of course, and I'm sure you've heard about it, a federal judge in Florida has struck down the mask mandate for public transportation, for airlines, trains, subways, and buses, basically ruling that the CDC overstepped its bounds by ordering and extending the requirement which is uh, then we we think about the White House. What is the White House's response going to be to that? Uh, I think we all assume that the White House will file uh, a lawsuit or will appeal that decision from the federal judge in Florida. Here is uh, Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, uh with a status report on this from the Biden administration.
2: Department of Homeland Security, uh, who would be implementing, and the CDC are reviewing the decision. And, of course, the Department of Justice uh, would make any determinations about litigation.
1: So apparently the Department of Justice uh, may be looking at the decision now de- and uh, deciding whether or not Uh, The administration will appeal that decision. Again, a federal judge in Florida striking down the mask mandate for public transportation airlines, trains, subways and buses, ruling that the CDC overstepped its authority. And uh, Jen Psaki uh, reiterated the White House position on wearing masks on airplanes.
2: The mask mandate should be in place and that it's safer for individuals who are flying to continue to wear masks. So we would say to anyone sitting out there, we'd recommend you wear masks on the airplane.
1: As you know, I am not a fan of the mask mandate on public transportation. I am a fan if someone is immunocompromised, if they feel that their immune system is weakened. And if they feel that they are susceptible uh, to catching the virus or some other bug on an airplane, absolutely wear a mask. Absolutely. But I, I think if we look at this logically to, to get on the airplane and, and when my wife and I get on the air, we, we use an N95 mask. If we're going to have to wear a mask, we wear a good one, an N95 mask. But the, the the, the hypocrisy of all of it is you can walk through the airport where you have to wear the mask as well. You can walk through the airport and be within six feet of folks eating uh, lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever, drinking uh, a drink. Uh, maybe uh, they're in the waiting area at a gate and they have their food and their drink with them. And, and they can, it's allowable to remove your mask, as uh, as you're eating so you can be within uh, three to six feet of someone without a mask on while they're eating and then when you get on the airplane of course people around you as they are being served whatever they're partaking of i guess uh alcohol is being served now on on some of the flights i don't know that you can call it food anymore some of those mixes are okay those little pretzel cracker thingies Uh, doesn't do much for uh, my doctor advising me to lay off the carbohydrates, but it is what it is. But anyway, so as you're taking their little snacky things, or you're taking, as in our case, uh, either water, depending on the airline, coffee, or Sometimes the coffee on the airlines, though, tastes a bit like it was made from the jet fuel that they use to uh, fuel up the airplane. So I, I avoid coffee on some of those airlines. But, uh, so, but, but the point being that you can remove your mask. Now, some of the flight attendants get really picky, and they ask that you, you put your mask on between bites. Well, the point is, by removing the mask, doesn't that defeat the whole thing? If, if, if in fact you can contract the virus and an airplane is a, is a large area where the virus is going to run rampant, then why would they allow you to remove your, why don't they just say there will be no food, there will be no drink and you're welcome to use the restroom. But other than that, you're on your own for the next however many hours and those of you who who do those across uh, country flights when we visited our our children recently and uh they we gathered together in Knoxville, Tennessee not too uh, long ago why uh, it, it was coming back it was 7 hours because we had to go through a, a stop somewhere and uh You add all that up, you got the mask on as you're in the airport, you got your mask on as you're in the aircraft, you got your mask on as you're waiting for your connecting flight, you got your mask on on the connecting flight, you have your mask on at the end of the connecting flight till you get out of the airport. Uh, It was over seven hours that we had the masks on. It just seems to me if the airplane is safe enough to remove your mask while you eat, why wouldn't it be safe enough not to wear the mask at all? And we know that the filtration systems on the airplanes are just absolutely fantastic. So it uh, makes no sense to me. But we'll, in a couple of minutes, we'll we'll see what you think about that as well. Our phone number here to the Mike Douglas Show, 209-551-3483. Again, uh, makes sense to me, the Florida judge making the ruling that the CDC over step their bounds in mandating this extension for the mask mandate you know what else makes sense to me to go to a professional when you need help selling your house that makes sense to me And maybe you have a growing family or you're working from home. You need more space. Well, if you do, call the agent I trust, Dan Phipps. Dan's proprietary marketing system guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours for full market value, or Dan will sell it for free. His home selling program, it's designed to maximize your sales price. You're in complete control. Here's what I love about it. No long-term contracts, no required costly repairs. You pick your move dates and Dan can even find you a new ho- new home before you move isn't that amazing Carrie and Melissa in Merced they tell us due to some recent changes in their lives they they had to sell in a hurry but they also needed full value for the home they heard about Dan Phipps and his program they gave him the job they say day one Dan launched into action they say he sold our home in days got us thirty thousand dollars more. Then the same house, only a block away. So call Dan Phipps. Dan is the man I recommend, and I would hire him to sell my own home. He's the only agent who guarantees multiple offers in 72 hours, or it's sold free. Call Dan Phipps, 209-840-6378, or go to danphipps.com. That's Dan Phipps with three Ps, D-A-N-P-H-I-P-P-S. Dot .com and the Mike Douglas show will continue in 3 minutes. Here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike
0: Douglas show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It's today's conversation for Stockton, Modesto and beyond. beyond. Now back to the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, I want to thank uh, those of you who uh, were at the Easter sunrise service at Lakewood Memorial Park on Sunday morning. Just uh, it was just an honor to meet several of you that that came out to, to enjoy that beautiful morning a, a bit on the chilly side. I'm thinking of doing this from memory. I know Ed was there, Ed from Lodi. Uh, we also had Richard come up and say hi. And I believe his name was Andrew. Uh, brought his two sons as well and, and several others. Uh, again, thank you for coming up anytime that uh, we're, we're together in a public place. Uh, please come up and, and say hi. I, I so much enjoy meeting you and hearing your stories as well and, and having the ability to be able to thank you personally for being a listener here on on the Mike Douglas Show. A quick update uh, from KCRA regarding the stabbing at Stagg High School in Stockton. Um, The KCRA reporting that Eric Kane, deputy chief at Stockton Police Department, said the suspect, who is in custody, uh, is a man in his 40s, arrived at the school in a vehicle. And uh, the girl that was stabbed... Is uh, her age is not being given, and very sadly uh, she died at the hospital in the aftermath of that stabbing. Uh, again, that's what we know for the moment. To my knowledge, Stag High School is still on lockdown at this point. They have counselors on on site and uh, will as well uh, tomorrow. Again, a uh, a student a female was stabbed by an intruder. At Stagg High School in Stockton, she died from her stab wounds at the hospital. And uh, the deputy chief of the Stockton Police Department confirming that the suspect who has been detained, a man in his 40s, and he arrived at the school in a vehicle. So easy. An update there from from, uh, KCRA. And if we have further details, uh, we'll, we'll try to get that to you as, uh, as the show progresses. Again, a federal judge, big story today, federal judge in Florida saying that the CDC exceeded its authority in uh, ordering uh, the extension of the mask requirement on airlines, trains, subways, and buses. And again, as uh, we reported just a, a little bit ago, Uh, Jen Psaki, uh, representing the Biden White House, reiterated the White House's position on this.
3: The mask
2: mandate should be in place and that it's safer for individuals who are flying to continue to wear masks. So we would say to anyone sitting out there, we recommend you wear masks on the airplane.
1: Why? What's the reason? Do you have a scientific reason or is it a political reason? And again, I I think a lot of us are, are fed up with the hypocrisy involved in this uh, that that we see. We're, We're fed up with competing claims of science. We're fed up with being treated like children. And we've had enough expert testimony in print as well as broadcast media to know that not all doctors, not all scientific folks, agree that masks on airplanes contain uh, the coronavirus is just, it, it, it's just not provable anymore. And again, airplanes have a, a superior filtration system. And again, our, my position here is that, listen, if you have, if you have an a, an immune system issue, please wear the mask. Absolutely. Nothing In in what those of us who are objecting to this mask mandate, none of us, I don't think, are saying that, gee, all of you must not wear a mask. No, what we're saying is for for those who are healthy, for those who are not in in uh, sensitive age groups that are high risk. Uh, to the virus. Uh, for those uh, of us that uh, are are healthy and our age group and our demographics indicate that we have a, a low probability, and, and especially if we're vaccinated, why are we having to wear the masks on the airplane? And again, the White House doesn't seem to pr- be providing any logical reason for that other than that's what we want you to do. So, a Florida judge has said, nope, CDC, you exceeded your authority in uh, in making that extension to the mandate. Remember, it was supposed to expire today, right? The, the other expiration date was March 15, and they extended it 15 days. What's with 15? What's with the magic number 15? Yeah, do you know? Remember when we first started out with all of this, 15 days, right, to flatten the curve. Uh, and that, that meant to to ease up on the uh, flow of people with the uh, virus into hospitals, and so 15 days to flatten the curve. And then it turned into, what, 100 days, and then it turned into a year and a half, two years. And now we're still fighting this battle, extension after extension after extension. And I'm sure there's Florida judge uh, I don't have her name, but I, I believe she is a, a Trump appointee. I'm sure she's not going to be high on the list of the uh, of the progressives in, in Washington, D.C., but good for her. I, I applaud this judge. I, I think this is a very wise and very appropriate decision at this point. What are the reasons for? do you think for the mask mandate staying in place? 209-551-3483. A couple come to mind. To me, how about control? How about follow the dollar? There must be some dollar incentive in there somewhere to someone in politics. But I think the control issue is is one that also bleeds into political... Um, advantageous decisions and positions that lead up to the November 2022 election. Uh, I think that has a lot to do with it. I really do. Now, the question is, will some of these politicians start taking a more softened approach uh, as we get closer to November 2022? It's not too far away, is it? And again, I believe, my friends, that this is going to be a tipping point election, not only here in California, but nationally as well. Now, I, I'm a realist as well. I don't think California is going to become suddenly um, a bastion of logical, rational thinking. I don't think that at all. But I think progress can be made. And if we can get some more uh, good thinkers, rational thinkers up in the legislature in Sacramento, I think that would be a good thing. Again, that uh, that's coming up in November 2022 and especially as we look at elections for sheriffs and elections for district attorneys, my friends, this is so crucial. And uh, in Stanislaus County, neither of those positions are being contested, to my knowledge. Uh, both Sheriff Dirksey and uh, uh, the, uh, the assistant DA, uh, running for uh, DA as Birgit Flattiger retires, uh, he, to my knowledge, is uncontested as well. So in Stanislaus County, anyway, uh there's uh, there there's a no contest but I, there are other counties in California where that becomes an issue and it really becomes so important uh to to cast a, an informed vote and again I don't tell you what to vote for but my job is as I see it to provide to provide you with as much information as possible on uh, on these DAs by the way and and we'll be discussing the DA issue in in more detail later on in the week but the San uh, the San, San Joaquin, excuse me, the San Joaquin County Attorneys Association has uh, released a uh, a statement uh, last week on April 7 saying they conducted a vote of no confidence in San Joaquin District Attorney Tori Verber Salazar out of 74 mel- members eligible to vote 42 voted by a vote of 83% to 17% uh, members of the district attorney's office voted they did not have confidence in Tory Verber-Salazar's ability to effectively manage the district attorney's office. That's a pretty significant vote of the uh, the, the prosecutors who work, the prosecutors who work for the San Joaquin County DA of them last week cast a vote of no confidence for Tory Verber-Salazar. Very interesting development. We'll keep that eye uh, open for what's happening there as well as what's happening in other areas as well. Mike Douglas' show continues in five minutes here on Power Attack 1360 KFIV.
0: Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Local Talk is back in the valley with KFIV's Mike Douglas. Weekdays at three on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on this Monday afternoon in California's Central Valley. Thank you for joining us here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Again, the sad news today, a uh, female minor uh, at Stagg High School was apparently stabbed to death by a 40-year-old male suspect who arrived at the campus on a vehicle, or in a vehicle, rather. Uh, No names are being given at this point. Uh, Just to give you a a sense of uh, the voice of the uh, Stockton Unified School District, Superintendent John Ramirez, here are some of his comments from a... Press conference not too uh, not too long ago this morning in Stockton.
3: Good afternoon. <clears throat> today I come to you not only as superintendent, but also as a father. A trespasser entered the front of our school today and stabbed one of our students multiple times. Unfortunately, she did not make it. The assault assailant was taken was detained and taken into custody immediately. The School was also put on lockdown to assure the safety of the rest of our students. We began to work with local law enforcement immediately and they've taken over the investigation. I think something I want to make sure that everyone hears is that our Stockton Unified School District police officer was right there immediately and was able to do his job and it helped prevent that from continuing. So with that, we want to offer from all of our Stockton Unified staff uh, Prayers to the family. I can't even imagine that one.
1: Again, uh, that was John Ramirez. Uh, Mr. Ramirez is the superintendent of the uh, Stockton Unified School District, and uh, uh, Mr. Ramirez speaking at a press conference not too long ago. Again, the suspect in the stabbing, apparently 40 years old, a male. Uh, he was detained, apparently, by the uh, police officer on site. Uh, the school district uh, police officer and uh, unfortunately the female student, uh, her age and name, of course, not being released as far as I know at this point. And uh, again, our our we join uh, Mr. Ramirez and, and all of those with uh, the Stockton Unified School District in praying for the family of the victim and also the students there. It's a uh, it's a tough tough issue uh, to deal with and uh, glad to see that counselors are there. Having served as a law enforcement chaplain for many years, I know how important it is to get counseling and chaplains on scene as soon as possible uh, for the students as well as uh, to be able to connect with the parents as well. So our update here from uh, Stockton and Stagg High School. The other big news of the day, of course, federal judge in Florida, a Trump appointee apparently says, CDC, you exceeded your authority in uh, extending this mask mandate. And uh, the judge says, nope, we're going to put a we're going to put a kibosh on that extension. Uh, the Biden administration right now, deciding whether or not it's uh, Department of Justice deciding how they're going to handle that. I would assume that they're going to file an appeal, but who knows? We'll we'll see how that develops. Uh, again, I, I can't imagine why we have to have masks on airplanes now. Again, for those that have compromised immune systems great wear it no problem with that at all but for those that that aren't that are vaccinated even unvaccinated those that have may may have natural immunity i just given all that we've heard all the testimonies we've heard now up to this point i can't imagine why there's a good reason for for uh, wearing those masks on airplanes let's find out what you think area code 209551 three four eight three and let's check in with john from brentwood who i suspect is not wearing a mask as he calls us hi john
4: uh how did you guess no and thoughts and prayers to the family and friends of that young girl at stag high school so things are just getting out of hand in this country it's Mm. getting ridiculous but um on a lighter note on on in context with the mask thing there was somebody had put a comment on Facebook today about how everybody still needs to wear a mask because this is still spreading and we need to protect everybody and blah, 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 blah. And I did a little comment on there it was actually a little meme and it just showed a lady standing outside of a guy putting up a chain link fence and she had a mask on and she said, it's basically a little blurb for her said, I'm wearing this mask to keep viruses from entering my body. And the guys, the blurb on his side said, I'm, putting up this chain link fence to keep the mosquitoes out of my yard. <laughs> and it wasn't on there for probably three or four minutes. And I guess the algorithms on Facebook, I don't know if it's because it's me and they, they put me in jail so much I know who I am, but in less than three minutes it was covered up with a little comment saying that this comment shows false information. Well, of course it does. It was supposed to be sarcastic and funny and that's just the ridiculousness of the way everything is going it's 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 getting way out of hand everything is it's just there's just way too much wokeness going on it. it's ridiculous
1: it's almost john it's almost become its own religion you, you know what i'm saying it 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 has aspects of religious fervor to it and it, it it's its own world view that seems to be bubble like uh, i remember the bubble boy of of decades past who had to live in kind of a bubble because he had almost no or pretty much no immunity he had to live in a bubble that's what I'm thinking about uh, so much of this wokeness is to me a a bubbleized worldview where you don't consider what's what's real on the outside by the way John what do you think of Elon Musk and uh, his his attempt to uh, take over Twitter you uh, and I'm thinking of the free speech issues that you're talking about. You think that's wise, and/or do you think he'll be able to pull it off?
4: I I think it's great. I don't think he'll be able to pull it off. The liberals are already having meltdowns all over the place about it it's on MSNBC and CNN, and the world's coming to an end. And there will be there, there will be a lot of hate speech now on Twitter, and it's just it's ridiculous. It's just no. I, I hope he does it. I would love to see him do it.
1: Yeah, I, I think I'd would... like to
4: see him by Facebook and straighten that mess out, too. <laughs> yeah, I, uh,
1: I think so, too. Uh, you know, and I, I don't agree with and and this is the beauty, John, of of uh, mo- most of us here within the confines of this show and the radio signal is we can all have various viewpoints and we can even agree to disagree with each other and, and still be friends and, and still respect each other. But in the woke world, that's, that's not allowable. Either it's our way or the highway. And, uh, John, I, I am, I am still aghast at the way social media and the big tech companies try to, uh, form public opinion, by shutting up free speech you know i mean they came into the whole industry advertising this is the place to go twitter you know give your give your viewpoints and yet as you personally experience they are not allowing anything that uh, doesn't fit their narrative. so john thanks for the call thanks for the no, reminders it's, it's,
4: it's all canceled it's all canceled one more quick thing to yeah. this with this disney thing going on um I'm, my family is going to Disney. We're planning on going in July and I'm not, I don't cancel. I'm not going to not visit. I don't agree with it, but if, if, if I did, if I can't, if I didn't do anything on companies that I didn't agree with, I would basically sit in my house. I disagree with the things the country's doing right now. I wouldn't even live in the country. So I just don't agree with this whole cancel anything. If, if you like it, do it. There's a lot of music I like that I listen to that I don't agree with the people's politics, but that, that being said, I just do what I like to do, and I have my own personal opinions, and that's just how that goes.
1: Well, and, John, I uh, thanks for the call, John. Appreciate that very much. John, I, I, I support that. I, I think it comes down to a personal decision. And I, I'm not big on boycotts. I'm not big on, I guess, what do you call it? Reverse cancellation. I'm not big on that. I make my personal choices. But, John, <clears throat> I think you make a good point, and that is if we decide that we want to initiate a boycott or a reverse cancellation, so to speak, it is amazing how many companies own other companies. And really, it is. Uh, I mean, I, I do make personal decisions to uh, to watch some things or not watch some things, especially if they're trying to push their uh, political viewpoints down my throat. Uh, I make a personal choice not to. I don't ask anybody else not to, and so I, I do think it comes down to a, a, a your, your personal decision. And I don't, uh, as in John's case. Uh, I don't uh, demean anyone that that goes to Disneyland or to Disney World uh, at all. Uh, that's that's your personal choice, and I've I grew up in the shadow of Disneyland. I had, I attended it many many times. I went there. I saw Doc Severinsen for the first time in concert at Disneyland. One of the highlights of of my life. Later, able to see him in concert here at the. Uh, Gallo uh, Center for the Arts here in Modesto, but as uh, as a young twenty something French horn and trumpet player, Doc Severinsen was one of my heroes. Loved to go there. Teddy Buckner, a great uh, Dixieland jazz trumpeter, had a great band. Loved going to see that. Uh, love the you know. I'll, I'll give you a story in a minute. And, and by the way, I'm choosing right now not not to go to Disneyland or Disney World, but that's just my personal choice. I think if, if you're going to go, go. Again, this, this comes down to your, your personal choice about what you want to do. That, that's, that's what the, that's what America's all about to me is having that freedom of choice and, and affirming that freedom of choice. And uh, I'll tell you a story in a moment about Space Mountain. And it was uh, shortly after it had opened, and I'll, I'll just share a personal story that you might find amusing on on this day that's irritating, with the day of taxes. On on this day when it's sad because of the young lady who uh, died of of stab wounds from a forty year old male at Stag High School. With with all of that, let me just share a. Uh, um, an uplifting story here in three minutes as the Mike Douglas show continues on power talk 1360 K F I V the
0: Mike Douglas show now weekdays from three till five on power talk 1360 K F I V father preacher friend it's the conversation you've missed the Mike Douglas show weekdays at three on power talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on power talk, 1360 KFIV uh, talking to John from Brentwood a, a little while ago, he mentioned they're, they're going to Disneyland and he gave us some good things to think about regarding the mask mandates on uh, public transportation and, and such. Uh my, my point coming out of that is I, I, don't, uh, I don't call for boycotts. I, I'm not one that supports that. I have uh, very intelligent friends who believe that boycotts are good things, and we ought to do that as a way of being able to uh, tell uh, companies uh, who are giving or promoting values that go against our value system to make our voices known. That's fine, but I, I think that comes down to an individual decision. And so I don't, uh, I don't get behind boycotts. I don't get behind, I guess you would call it, a reverse cancel culture either. I, I think we just personally do what we think is right in terms of, um, in terms of being customers of whatever business, uh, business it is. Anyway, John was talking about he's go- going to go down to uh, Disneyland. Uh, I think he said with his family here shortly, and that's fine. I, no problem with that at all. Uh, but i was going to tell a story that i always remember about space mountain and this was shortly after it it first opened i was uh how old was i i was i out of high school maybe college i don't quite remember anyway um i was uh, wearing glasses at the time this is well way before i started wearing contacts anyway so uh, we were lined up for Space Mountain. My sister was uh, about seven years old at, at that time. And so uh, my parents and, and my sister and I were at Disney. And I, I couldn't wait to go on Space Mountain. <clears throat> couldn't wait for it. So we're lined up. We, we get in there. And uh, my sister and I are in the front car. My parents, mom and dad, are in, in the car right be, right behind us. And so we start on that and my my sister and, and if you remember the early space mountain, I mean it's dark, right? You're going fast into a dark space and you see the stars and all of that, but you know, it, it starts off. you're going fast and you don't really know where you're going and it's dark. My sister, that again, it's six or seven years old, I think, really flipped out and almost literally. She tried to climb out of the car that we were in, and I'm I'm trying on the one hand, you know, we're going up and down a little roller coaster thing through the space mountain deal. I'm trying to keep my glasses on with one hand because back then, between high school and and uh, and college, my glass if I didn't have glasses on, I I didn't see anything kind of like now. But anyway. So I'm hanging on to my glasses for dear life. Otherwise, I can't see for the rest of the day. And with my other hand, with my right hand, I'm trying to keep my I'm holding on to my sister dear life because she is bound and determined to climb out of that car. She is mega scared of of what's going on. And uh, so I spent my first ride on Space Mountain not really noticing what the ride was about because i was trying to uh, save the life of my sister from coming out of the car and to this day and she is uh, uh there's about 12 years difference between us but anyway uh, obviously uh, well into adulthood now she still won't go on space mountain so uh, there you go anyway uh the point being uh going back to John's comment, I am not one to do boycotts. Uh, if I feel that a company at the moment is not, is pushing things that I don't feel are healthy perspectives that I think, uh, really run counter to mine. And it, 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 comes to the point where i feel that strongly about it. I make a decision personally to either be a customer or not. And, uh, I don't, demean anyone else on the decisions they make. Plus, and I think John pointed this out on his call uh, a little bit ago, plus (laughs) you start, it's like doing uh, corporationancestry.com, if there was such a thing. You start digging into corporations who own other corporations, who do DBAs, doing business as other corporations, And you find out it is really hard, even if you wanted to boycott something, it's really hard to do that because if you trace it down to the company that owns the company that owns the companies that owns the company that is the company, uh, you find out they own so many that uh, you boycott that one and you might as well live in, in solitude on a desert island all by yourself. And um, and wait for a, a shipment to come in once in a while with supplies. So, uh, just just my thoughts on that. But getting back to the mask mandate again uh, today. A federal judge saying, CDC, you exceeded your authority in recommending that uh, that extension. And so, at the moment, anyway, uh, there has yet to be, to my knowledge, a. Uh, uh, counterattack, so to speak, a legal a legal counterattack by the Biden administration. However, uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki saying that uh, they are uh, looking at the Department of Justice is looking at whether or not to file an appeal. I would suspect there there would be, wouldn't you? Again, I'm I'm at a loss for why we're still pushing that. When when for most of the the rest of venues that we're in. We don't have to wear masks anymore. Why in the world on an airplane where the filtration systems are so good? And, and, and we've heard testimonies from scientists, from doctors, countering the, the narrative that the White House and the mass media is giving us, saying that this is not a breeding ground for COVID-19. On aircraft and and the danger, I think, of all of this, and this is, I believe, why Governor Newsom and others will not let go of their emergency declarations. There is a lot of power and control in having that emergency declaration. And any time that those stats start to creep up a little bit, bam, bam, there we go, and the the restriction comes down again. Uh, we have not really known the freedoms that we used to have for a long time. You, you consider the impact of these kind of things, and I, I was not crazy about the Patriot Act when it came in uh, after 9-11 under uh, Bush 43. Never really a big fan of that, and that forever changed our lives, didn't it? Forever now we have to deal with the TSA at the airports, and I, I'll tell you a story about that where I saw elderly women in wheelchairs being... Uh, you know, they take their wands and doing a detailed scan of elderly women in their wheelchairs at that time. I think he was maybe, uh, three years old or three-year-old was pulled out of line and they, boy, they went over our three-year-old, uh, like he was uh, a terrorist himself, just absolutely unconscionable, ridiculous, and, uh, and I think abhorrent policies To just pull people out indiscriminately makes no sense to me. Well, like we can't, we can't profile people. Really? Really? Let's, let's think about this for a second. If you have in your neighborhood someone who has just committed a homicide, and a witness, or maybe it's a ring camera or a security camera, catches the guy, and he's uh, six five and uh, and male with uh, long shoulder length hair, don't you think we ought to stop and pull over six five males with long hair? Well, sure. Well, you can't. That's that's. Discriminating? No, it's being logical. You pull over people that fit the description of the suspect, for goodness sakes. All right, we'll come back with the Mike Douglas Show after the top of the hour when we have news, weather, and traffic. And uh, during the second hour, we're going to introduce you to uh, a new friend of ours who's going to challenge us on our thinking of how we deal with orphans, displaced children, all that coming up.
0: The Mike Douglas Show. Now, weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360
1: KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show as we kick into gear our number two here today on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, two stories that we're keeping an eye on today, of course, out of Florida. Big news. A federal judge there says. Nope, no to the CDC's mandate that masks be worn on public transportation, airplanes, and, uh, and trains and such. Uh, judge saying don't have that authority, and we will continue to keep an eye on that to see how the uh, uh, how the White House, how the Biden administration responds to it. Again, uh, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, is saying that we believe you ought to wear a mask on on an airplane and such. Uh, so we'll um, we'll see how that uh, how that turns out. Again, a federal judge in Florida striking down the mask mandate for uh, airlines, trains, subways, and buses, saying that the CDC overstepped its authority by ordering and extending that requirement. we have also been uh, tracking uh, sad news today from Stockton Stag High School on lockdown after a 40-year-old male intruder who arrived in a vehicle apparently approached the campus and stabbed a, a young female to death. Uh, she succumbed to her wounds at a hospital afterwards, and um, apparently the suspect is in custody. No further information on that at the moment. Uh, obviously, I, I believe the police department there, law enforcement authorities, keeping a lot of those details <clears throat> under wraps at the moment because investigations need to be done well. We don't often think about that, do we? Investigations are so important. As, and we've learned this uh, oh, from very famous trials, uh, like the O.J. Simpson trial and such. Anytime that evidence is not processed properly, the whole case can go down in flames. It's the, what the, the, the principle is called the fruits of the poison tree. In other words, if you have in the chain of evidence, there's a chain of, and, and this is why police department, sheriff's department, law enforcement, state, federal are so meticulous at crime scenes. That's why they don't allow people in oftentimes why they don't give a lot of information out at the, at the, at the top of the news is because they need to be very, very careful, very precise about gathering evidence. Where is each shell casing located? They're looking at angles. They're looking at any other physical evidence that might be on scene. Uh, They're looking for modus operandi. Why uh, did the suspect or the person under investigation do this? And if one of those pieces of evidence in the chain of evidence and there can be hundreds especially in something like like this a homicide investigation there can literally be hundreds of pieces of evidence if one of those pieces of evidence or one testimony is not obtained according to the letter of the law everything else that follows is inadmissible it goes down in flames That's why it's called the fruit of the poison tree. It's like a a tree. If you introduce poison into the roots of a tree the fruit that the tree bears will be poisonous as well. It'll be infected because the poison uh, moves throughout the tree and the capillaries and such. And, uh, and so the, the, it's, it's a good metaphor for evidence. So I, I understand why they keep so tight-lipped, tight-lipped on, uh, on some of these investigations. And again, our prayers are with uh, the young lady's family and uh, with her fellow students Uh, in Stockton, just a a tragic and and gut-wrenching time. Again, a a knife was used. I'm not even going to go there. If a gun was used, what would we hear? A knife was used, what are we not hearing? That's all I'm going to say. You can you can make the connections yourself. It's the hypocrisy of of the progressives, and and the hypocrisy of the defunding the police movement. Uh, you know, law enforcement is so important to a society whose uh, whose foundation is built in part upon the rule of law. You take the enforcement of that rule of law out, and the whole thing starts to uh, starts to crumble. Uh, so again, those. Uh, those two new I- uh, news items we're uh, watching, uh, watching today. Speaking of schools, and this is interesting, this came out, uh, a news release came out uh, last week, I think, on the 11th. The California Department of Education released public school enrollment data for K through 12 for the 2021 2022 academic year. And it shows a fifth year of decline. As uh, we come out of two challenging years, of course, from the COVID 19 uh, pandemic, California, uh, California enrollment declines, by the way, they say are consistent with national data trends. The apparently, enrollment in public schools K through 12 is dropping through the, throughout the country. This release says these declines began prior to the pandemic and are projected to continue into the future of California. That's a crucial line. Why? Why? Because it says the declines began before the pandemic. We cannot lay the decrease in enrollment data upon the lap of the public policy for coronavirus. No, this, uh, this discre- the decrease in enrollment uh, began before the pandemic itself. So total enrollment is down in the 2021 school year. It's a decrease of 1.8% from the prior year. That's equivalent to about 110,000 students in California. And there apparently has been a steady decline in public school enrollment since uh, 2014-2015. It also showed, this is interesting, it it breaks it down by race and ethnicity, of course. It shows that uh, the 2021 school year and 2021-22 school years also show that enrollment of African-American students declined 3.6%. Asian student enrollment declined almost 2%. Hispanic Latino students declined almost 1%. This is interesting. White students declined by almost 5%, 4.9%. And you ask, well, is there some significant data on the grade levels involved? Well, trends show that the largest grade level decreases in the enrollment data are found in grades 1, 4, 7, and 9. 1, 4, 7, and 9. And so why, why do you think this is? and i'm i'm not attaching the I, it's a thread because we're talking about the fatal stabbing at a stockton high school today stagg high school but it i'm i'm not equating it with violence on school campuses i'm just talking in general let's think about this so that we can talk about it around election time so that when friends are around us in our sphere of influence so that we can have some prepared ideas ready to discuss. Why do you think K through 12 enrollment is down in public schools in California for the fifth year in a row? Why do you think that is? We'll talk about it coming up in 3 minutes. Your thoughts and mine coming up in 3 minutes on the Mike Douglas show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike
0: Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. It's today's conversation for Stockton, Modesto, and beyond. Now, back to the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Our conversation at the moment. Centering around the statistics uh, given to us by the Department of California Department of Education, saying that enrollment is down for the fifth year in a row uh, by almost 2% from the prior year, 1.8%. And uh, we're asking the question. Why do you think enrollment is down in California schools? Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. I know you're uh, great thinkers. Let's think about the reasons why. And let's go to one of our great thinkers uh, in Stanislaus, Debbie. Debbie, welcome to the show. What are your thoughts about why enrollment is down in California schools?
5: Well, uh, I have this statement going along with the questions, kind of like a A double whammy. We've had so many people leaving California for a long time, right, Mike? Absolutely. Okay, so with these people who leave, isn't it rationally and logically thought for process? It's about the school system and why there would be lesser children, all races included. They take their children with them, don't they?
1: I would assume so. Mm Mm-hmm.
5: So that's what I came up with mathematically.
1: I I think that's uh, this is a good point, uh, Debbie. The the mass exodus of people from California, although uh, Sacramento would would tell us that that's uh, that's fake news, uh, not an but we know that Debbie, don't we? We we know it's people not are leaving fake California. News.
5: People have been leaving here for a long time.
1: Uh, absolutely. This
5: is, this is all known. This is a known factor. It's not something I'm dreaming up. And I come from Southern California, too. And so I know the whole rapport, uh, the repertoire. I even want Hollywood to go away. They're starting on us already on the television where they have the Cardassians who are going to have a big, big, big big thing about their, their glamour and their, their marriages and divorces and all. The, I don't want that garbage. I don't think most of us want it anymore. I wish they'd just go away permanently.
1: Debbie especially in that that regard I agree with you 100 percent debbie thanks thanks for the call uh you know debbie I'm I'm you're you're triggering uh something held long way back in my memory uh, and and the synapses do occasionally fire well from time to time uh, and you may remember this debbie I'm not too sure many many of you in our listening audience uh, if you're old enough may remember this and I don't remember his name, but he was uh, chairman of the Federal Communications Commission. And this was about when television was rising up as a new technology and and such. And I'll have to look this up unless one of you knows uh, the name offhand. I, I'm, I'm not remembering it at the moment. But chairman of the FCC said that he predicted television would be and is the vast wasteland, the vast wasteland. And I think there are many reasons. Now, have there been wonderful things on television? Yes. Has television news, documentaries, drama, comedies, have they had their moments? Yes, absolutely. In music, we've seen stunning performances through the television medium. But there's always, with any technological advancement, there are always unintended consequences, are there not? And I think we're experiencing, and, and Debbie is, is, uh, is highlighting uh, Hollywood and, and uh, the mass media, uh, television anyway, uh, as, a, as a source of contributing to the decaying of our society. And we're tying this as well to the decrease in students, uh, student enrollment in public schools in California. Debbie making a good point. Been a lot of people leaving California of late. That may explain it. And that, and that was happening pre-pandemic. It was happening pre-pandemic. I think the pandemic and public policy here uh, maybe increased uh, the uh, the uh, fleeing of California, but. I think that's uh, that's an added reason. Now, what I don't know, I don't have these stats. I don't know if they're out there. Are how many people coming over the border that are not counted are coming into California? I don't know how many illegal immigrants are all part of this that may be filling the schools at the same time that some people are leaving. I thought it was very interesting here. I, I mentioned this a moment ago. The racial Uh, demographics uh african-american students declined and this is k through uh 12 uh african-american enrollment in schools declined uh, 3.6 percent asian students declined almost two percent hispanic latino students declined uh the least of all at 0.9 percent almost just uh, one percent barely but white students uh almost a a five percent decline now is that because it is mostly caucasian families that are leaving california i don't know or are they opting for private schools that may be the issue as well i mean there are a lot of variables here and i i think a lot of people are looking at private schools now um I went through public schools uh, like Debbie. I grew up in, in uh, or, or at least lived in Southern California for a long time. I went through their public school system. I went through the Pasadena public school system, Pasadena City Schools. Loved it. I had a great uh, Longfellow Elementary School. I had a wonderful time there, one through six. Uh, junior high, I had some problems. That's the first time I really got beat up. I injured myself in gym class. Um, <laughs> junior high was uh, was a little, a little difficult for me. Loved high school. Went to John Muir High School in in Pasadena, and uh, music became my thing. Trumpet, French horn, the band, wind ensemble. Uh, musicians became my my uh, my social uh, world, and I loved. I had great. Teachers. I had a great band teacher who greatly influenced my life. I had a, a wonderful history teacher who uh, uh, helped us, uh, helped me get into—it was an advanced placement class in history. That led to uh, an AP class called Interna- uh, uh, International uh, Cultural and Social—or Intellectual, I'm sorry, Intellectual Cultural and Social History, where we recreated scenes out of history— Dramatically, in order to be able to show elementary school students students scenes out of history, so we recreated Marco Polo, we uh, recreated uh, scenes from the Civil War, we recreated scenes from World War One, World War Two, uh, we even uh, recreated vaudeville shows, and and so this this history teacher launched me into some avocations that led me into broadcasting, uh, an avocation that led me um, to be the head of a, of a international worldwide entertainment organization, uh, dealing with illusion and such. And so a lot of my life ha- launched me, a lot of my the things that I have enjoyed in life, some of the, the, the highlights of my life had their roots in high school, in that public school. Now, we made the choice for our children to enroll them in private school. Part of that was because I was a pastor at the congregation where that school was, and so tuition wasn't a, a big deal in that regard. But uh, we we chose for a variety of reasons to um uh, to have them in private school, and uh, our, our son, my my wife, homeschooled as well, because we were beginning to see things in public school that, frankly, we didn't want our students, uh, our children, to deal with. Uh, we, and, and I think what one of the things that I'm seeing today, and I think you may be seeing as well, is is the lack of education in basics. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Don't want you teaching our students that they can be one of 18 million different genders. Don't want you teaching our students at six, seven years old that they can be a boy if they're a girl or they can be a girl if they're a boy. Don't want you meddling in their lives in that way. That's our job as parents. And when government, when the public school system starts to take over the rule of the parent, we are in deep weeds. And, uh, and so I think that is one of the primary reasons. And we see that across the nation, parents now starting to stand up in public schools and saying, look, we object to this because it's not the same. It's not the same environment that it was when I went through public school. I enjoyed elementary and in high school, loved it. Went to uh, Pasadena City College and and uh, then on from. I, I loved the education there, but it's much different today. And they weren't they weren't jamming down our throats, disgusting things that they're trying to do uh, today from the woke culture. So I my opinion is that's uh, a lot of what we're dealing with. The other things we have to deal with, uh, especially in Ukraine and here in California's Central Valley, are children that are displaced from their homes and uh, who no longer have families to take care of them. How best do we take care of them? We're going to have an expert on that coming up in five minutes on the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, Ellie is going to visit us and talk about Faith to Action Initiative. You're going to love it. Coming up in five minutes, Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360, KFIV. The Mike Douglas Show,
0: now weekdays from three till five on Power Talk 1360, KFIV. Local Talk is back in the Valley with KFIV's Mike Douglas. Weekdays at 3 on Power Talk 1360
1: KFIV. Now, welcome back to the Mike Douglas show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Did you know this is a, a stunning statistic? That in 1 month of war in Ukraine, it led to the displacement of 4.3 million children. That's more than half of the country's estimated child population. And more than uh, 1.8 million have crossed into neighboring countries as refugees. And it's estimated, this is as of March 24th, so a few weeks ago, 2.5 million children are now internally displaced inside Ukraine. So between COVID-19 and the Ukrainian crisis... So many children have and are being displaced from their families and their homes. Well, with us right now is Ellie Oswald. She's the executive director of the Faith to Action Initiative. Ellie, welcome to the Mike Douglas Show. Uh, You are challenging us to rethink how we best serve these children who are displaced. Help us understand what that new process involves. What is that new paradigm you would like us to think about?
2: We believe that children grow best in the love and the care of families. And our goal is to see family care as the globally recognized best practice for meeting the needs of orphaned and vulnerable children. You know, so, um, you know, while residential care facilities, what we would call orphanages or children's homes or similar models, while they do provide for needs like food and water and shelter and sometimes education, what they can't do is provide for the full development, the social, the emotional support, that a child needs to really thrive long-term. And it is that experience of family that's critical to a child's development. It provides belonging, identity, and attachment that children need to be able to thrive.
1: And let's just talk about the economics of it, Ellie. You look at institutionalizing a child versus putting a child in a family unit. Uh, I would imagine there's some type of a cost differential there as well, right?
2: Yeah, people often assume that caring for children inside a residential facility is maybe the most effective way to respond to the problem or the most cost effective way. But actually, evidence from all over the world has shown that it's five to 10 times more expensive to support children and families or in to support children in residential care than supporting them in families, whether that's their own biological families or foster families or alternative families. And the thing is, you know, when you think about that, you can actually reach more children with less money by providing support and care for them while they're living in a family. And, and what's beautiful is that we are seeing better outcomes with that kind of care as well. So essentially it's a win-win for children and for, for those who are supporting the effort.
1: Let's talk about those outcomes. What type of positive outcomes are you seeing?
2: Well, I think what's um, helpful, too, as we think about outcomes is to recognize that um, there's this significant misconception that children in orphanages are orphans, essentially that they don't have families. And that's simply not true. Um, The stats all around the world together combined, um, we see that eight out of 10 children in residential care have a living parent. And even the vast majority of them, even if they don't have a living parent, have other family members, most of who are willing or able to care for them, if they have some support to do so. So we've seen uh, in every content that with the proper support, most children can be reunified with their families. And even children who aren't able to be reunified directly with their families can still grow up in the communities, with in the community with foster families or. local domestic or local adoptive families as well. Um, So with this kind of approach of children who are still receiving support, we're not saying that children don't still need support, but when they're receiving that support in the context of their family, um, we see uh, children who are able to um, uh, uh, develop healthy relationships as they grow. Alternatively, children who grow up in residential care or spend time in residential care, they they struggle with their relationships into adulthood. You know, we see additional um, rates of homelessness, of um, of unemployment, and mental health issues, which is really, really sad. And so um, by, by children receiving support inside the context of the family, so many of those problems are relieved, and we can see them really step into a place of health and their ability to thrive into adulthood.
1: Now, it sounds like uh, two major issues here. One is that reunification process, if it's their own family or finding a, a new family, and then the resources to support them. In this new or renewed environment, can you talk about the mechanics? Uh, how often are these, uh, how do we connect these childrens with their families or with new families, and how do we get the resources they need to, uh, to develop well in that new environment?
2: There is um, a lot of support for organizations that want to make this transition and reintegrate children into families. And really a lot of it comes down to good social work practices, the ability to track with each individual child and family's needs. So children end up in orphanages for a variety of needs. Most of them are not because their parents are, are passed away. It's the poverty is an underlying reason almost always. The families are poor. And they are struggling with something, some sort of crisis in their family. So maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's the loss of a job. Maybe it is, you know, a child has disabilities. They feel like they can't respond to or, or they feel like they can't provide education for their children. And so um, address really understanding the specific challenges of each family and responding well to that um, can prevent children from ever even needing to be in residential care. Um, you know, I think uh the great kind of message about family-based care is that it is an achievable alternative, and there, are, um, there, there is support to do that, and we know that because it's happening around the world. U.S. Christians provide $1.5 billion every year to residential care. Um, a, a recent BARNA study found $2.5 Billion with a B. And if we could shift that money um, from this direct support to residential care to help children transition back into families and also to support families that are struggling, we could see a long-term, you know, um, we could see this long-term use of residential care as a solution that's of the past um, and and something we really move away from.
1: So let's take a look at those billions of dollars where they're going at the moment, how would people redirect those dollars to get where they maybe would be better served in the family unit? Talk about how those connections can be made.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's helpful to connect to our our the news today and what's happening in our world today. Right, um, the the two major things that are impacting families is COVID, and uh, of course the disaster, um, the the chaos in Ukraine. So we know. Um, Uh, due to COVID that 5.2 million children have lost a caregiver around the world. And a caregiver is is really uh, anybody that's providing oversight for the child. Um, So we are seeing that um, children um, are in a situation where they're very vulnerable. And we know that these type of crises often lead to what we call unnecessary separation of children. From their families. So instead um, of supporting family residential care options for kids, we need people to respond to come alongside these families who are struggling um, and prevent them from ever considering um, an orphanage as an option and to be able to support their family or support their children in these times of real, real challenge.
1: I'm going to assume, but let me ask just to make sure uh, if there are siblings involved, brothers and, and sisters is there an effort to make sure that they are kept together in this new or renewed focus on the on the family unit?
2: yes it's it's vital um the first the first work to do is to is to make sure that we're coming around the the original families and it, that means not only parents but it means siblings it means aunties it means grandmas and grandpas there's so many places around the world the family unit is so much broader than what we think of here in the US so making sure we come around and support all of those those mechanisms those systems that surround children to be strengthened so they can care well for children and that even mean sometimes older siblings taking on responsibility in some context. We see in Africa where older siblings come along and take in their younger um, children with support for sure. We don't want to leave them alone in that, in that challenge. Um, And then it really is a limited amount of children that end up needing what we call alternative family support or um, such as foster care or adoption. Most, most children can find that support in their current family or kin or community of support that surrounds them. Um, But in the cases where families truly aren't safe or, or definitely, you know, not able to be tracked alternative options like foster care are happening. And they're happening through the church. When the church rises up and talks about their responsibility, the local church to bring children into their homes, we're seeing families rise up in cultures that usually don't take in other people's kids saying I'm doing it because this is what God calls us to do. And um, it's really beautiful to see that the most success in global foster care is coming through the local church.
1: Now before we let you go, let's just bring it down to a very uh, practical example here. Let's say that we have folks here in the, the Modesto, Stockton, Merced, Central California area saying, I like that. I like that idea. I think that's good. How can they get connected with this effort, Ellie?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think when we're looking at Ukraine right now, it would be a very specific way to respond. This is a, a time of crisis where we could see children separated. We could see the number of kids in orphanages, you know, g- grow in these countries surrounding Ukraine. So um, what we can do is, um, especially in that case, support um if, These children and and mostly their mothers that are crossing the border, supporting them in a really kind of dangerous time, you know, so sometimes that means working with organizations on the border, or working with refugees in surrounding countries I just heard a sweet story from one of our partners. Um, world without orphans of a Christian group that was giving water and provisions to people who were crossing the border into Romania. And um, Alex was uh, the name of the young, the the man who was doing this and he was out giving water to a large group that was waiting to cross the border. He heard a little girl's voice asking for some water. And he said in that moment, you know, it reminded that voice sounded just like his five-year-old girl um, daughter that was at home safe. And so he turned around and gave her the water and she quickly grabbed into her, pocket and pulled out two coins to give him, um, essentially it was like five cents, um, and he told her, he started to kind of like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. But uh, the mother kind of um, grabbed him and said, just let her do this. She's getting so much joy out of using her little coins. And so he vowed um, at that point to keep those two coins in his wallet until there was peace in Ukraine. So it's this these touches of humanity, of kindness, and responding to people's real felt needs and crisis um, that are important. You know, there's another group in Ukraine called NGO Nehemiah that has created a shelter in a school for families that are rapidly traveling out or to the West. And as a family walks in, um, usually mother and her children walks into that space, they're welcomed with a warm room, beds, food, and some help in figuring out what their next steps might need. So this is just a really critical time there to ensure safety of children and families. And there's some great trustworthy organizations. A few that I um, think are doing excellent work in that area is a family for every orphan. A family for every orphan. World without orphans works in that area, and there's a group called Hope and Homes for Children. All of them are responding, responding specifically in that crisis to the immediate needs of families, but also making sure that everything we do keeps the family together, so that they have the opportunity for the long term to either stay within that family, or if they're separated, to to be reunited as soon as safe and as possible.
1: And let's just talk about, before we close, what's happening here, for example, in Central California. How can uh, people get connected with like-minded organizations? I know one of the organizations that you work with is Bethany Christian Services uh, right here uh, within our radio uh, signals. So would, would it be wise for people to contact organizations like Bethany Christian Services as a, as a way to get connected with this effort?
2: Definitely. I mean, with COVID, what we're seeing, um, you know, a huge amount of the impact on vulnerable families for COVID globally is happening right here in the U.S., And um, I think it's really important that now is a time that we, as a body of Christ, consider what are we doing to come around families who are vulnerable? You know, um, we pray, of course, um, but in our own neighborhoods, in our backyard, we know there are families that are struggling either with loss, with job um, interruptions, with all of those things. And as we start to recover, those of us, myself included, who maybe had the financial security we needed to get through this time, there are many who lost so much more and were in much more in um, unstable places. And so organizations like Bethany Christian services and reaching out and finding ways to support your local um, child uh, protection services who are are connecting with families in crisis. So often these families need support from the church, from individuals um, in this time of challenge. And um, these families are really, really struggling and that's something that the church can do in our own backyard.
1: Ellie Oswald. Uh, thank you so much uh, for bringing us uh, into this new mode of thinking uh, in terms of thinking uh, when when we are dealing with children who have been displaced, rather than thinking institutionally, to think of reunification with families, if possible, or at least getting them into a a family environment. Ellie, thank you so much. Again, Ellie Oswald, uh, the Executive Director of Faith to Action Initiative. The website, if you're interested, faithtoaction.org, faith. To action.org and we'll uh, react to that a little bit coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas show on power talk 1360 KFIV. The Mike
0: Douglas show now weekdays from three till five on power talk 1360 KFIV. Father, preacher, friend. It's the conversation you've missed. The Mike Douglas Show. Weekdays at three on Power Talk 1360 KFIV.
1: And the Mike Douglas Show continues here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversations. Some interesting uh, challenges presented to us by Ellie Oswald, Executive Director of Faith 2 Action Initiative, talking about reunification efforts with families. As being one of the most healthy ways to benefit children who have been displaced from their homes or their families, of course, we looked at at the situation, and she referenced it as well in in Ukraine, and how there's incredible stats there: uh, two point five million now internally displaced inside Ukraine, two point five million children internally displaced inside ukraine and while over the decades uh, we have often thought of orphanages uh, especially in foreign countries as being a solution uh, ellie oswald challenging us to think more in terms of reunification efforts with family and if that is not possible uh, as, as the first choice, as the most beneficial choice, then uh, get finding family units that those children uh, can live with. And uh, she talked about the fact that even if you look at uh, uh, family units versus institutions that the family units are far more cost effective to the public than, the uh than the institutions themselves. Uh any thoughts on that? Have you had any experience with orphanages, uh institutions for children that have been uh, children that have been displaced? Um uh, maybe uh you've dealt with adoptions, uh foster homes and and such. Uh give us a call, let us know. And and by the way, if if you have any uh personal stories you'd like to share you can also email me, mikeon1360 at gmail.com. Be happy to take a look at those between shows, mikeon1360 at gmail.com. I think one of the salient points that Ellie was bringing up is that the family unit is, I think, one of the reasons why our culture is Crumbling the attack on fam the attack on families, the absence of, of fathers. But then there are resources. Uh, for example, uh, there there are local cases, local uh, efforts for reunification. I'm thinking of uh, the Redwood Family Center in Modesto. In in that case, women who uh, have are in recovery due to substance abuse. Uh, they learn how to be reunified with, our, with their children who have been taken away. So I think these efforts have, have great value. And uh, over the next couple of uh, weeks and months, we'll continue to think about this as we look at the plight of displaced children in Ukraine. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Mike Douglas Show. I will look forward to joining you again tomorrow, Tuesday at 3 p.m., here on The Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Have a wonderful evening.